This is a bit of a surreal episode for me. I talked to William Liu, who's on the Toronto Raptors beat. That's a basketball team. I'm a massive Raptors fan, and I listen to Will all the time. But this is the first time I ever got to talk back to him. Will's great. He talked to me from his home in Toronto. He was born here in China, about an hour away from where I am right now. In the first half of the interview, we get into his story and his place in the huge Raptors media ecosystem. In the second half, the conversation veers toward basketball as an anchor for immigrant communities in Canada and the significance of Asian representation in the NBA. I think this is a really fun episode. There is basically nothing more than I want to do than talk about the Toronto Raptors with my guest, William Liu. Will is the lead Toronto Raptors reporter for Yahoo Sports Canada. But since this is not a sports podcast, we are not going to spend this time speculating on how the Raptors will fill their lead assistant position or whether they should start a small lineup until they have a starting center who can make layups. But if that's the kind of analysis you want, you should listen to Will. A good place to start is on Twitter at William underscore Lou. From there, it is a vortex of Raptors and basketball content. Games are not over for me until I read Will's 10 Things column and listen to his reaction podcast. He does these after every game, win or lose. It's safe to say he is my favorite and most trusted source of news and analysis for my favorite sports team. Uh, We're in the middle of a very strange season, but it's an off day for the Raptors, so Will is kind enough to be my guest. William Liu, welcome to The Point. Thanks for having me on. Will, um... The Raptors are normally, normally, I say because right now they're playing in Tampa Bay, but they're normally in a huge media market. Uh, They are a very well-covered team with a ton of journalists who write articles, do TV hits, produce podcasts, and I'm going to list some of the names. There's the guys at the four daily Toronto papers, like Doug Smith at The Star. There's Josh Lewenberg at TSN, Eric Smith at Sportsnet. Eric Kareen and Blake Murphy at The Athletic, uh, your colleague at Yahoo Sports, uh, Alex Wong, who literally wrote the book on the championship team. And I know I'm missing some good reporters, but you, you get the point. The team gets covered a lot. What is what is your place on that list? What, what do you do that other reporters don't do? I don't really like rub elbows, I guess, <laughs> with the executives and people like that. So if you want breaking news as to uh, this guy's about to get traded for this guy, or this guy is about to get fired. I'm really not your go-to guy for that. What I try to do is um, try to represent a bit of the Raptors fan base and the sort of a, the voice of a fan um, in my coverage. That's not to say that I'm not going to be objective. And I think my work is pretty critical of the team, especially when they are not doing well, which at the start of the season, they were certainly not good. They were at two wins and eight losses, and I was losing my mind a little bit. But I think that aspect of sort of staying true to the fact that I am a supporter of the team, I really make no secrets about it, and I sort of speak from that place. In addition to, you know, whatever notes or uh, news or um, insights that I can offer, I'm trying to put all that together and just try to deliver something that could be really concise, that really um, resonates with fans, and and luckily I built a career out of it. So um, I think really what's different is just that a lot of the other organizations, they have to um, 
what, what is the official term? I didn't go to journalism school, and I think they did. So it's sort of like an official journalist tone, and I just don't have that. And I think that that actually does, uh, ironically enough, set me apart in this industry. And uh, hopefully, I can continue to stay in that space. Yeah, it's right. Because one of my questions actually is that, you know, one of the facts, one of the things that I love about your story is that you did not go to journalism school. And and it, you sort of partly answered the question is, of in what ways do you think not going to journalism school helped you progress to where you are now? Do you think there are any ways that you think it could have helped you? Uh, absolutely. I think especially if you want to, uh, you know, secure an internship and go from there establish contacts, um, get hands-on experience. I think a lot of that stuff is very valuable. Um, And I think that was probably the biggest challenge on the way in was um, learning these things about how to get credentialed, um, you know, what do publications want, um, you know, even basic things like how to talk to people in a scrum or interview players or interview coaches. How do you even go about asking for these people to be made available? Um, and, and that's something that you have to kind of learn on the job, I guess, when you don't have that training, but, um, I don't know. I've, I've seen enough people nowadays, especially with new media popping up. There's a lot of people that have found different ways to crack into the industry. And really at the end of the day, it's (laughs) maybe, again, I don't want to downplay the experience, but there's not that much you need to learn. I mean, like talking to an HR rep or things like that, again, you can meet these people, you can email them, you can start a correspondence. They're not aliens um you can just get to know them as people and uh build a rapport and eventually you can get into the the door especially now with everything being conducted over zoom it's actually a really really interesting time where a lot of the traditional media is now forced to become more new media and a lot of new media actually have an inherent advantage you used to write and podcast from raptors republic and i think that's where i first started reading you and listening to you um there's there's a lot of really good stuff at Raptors Republic, but I guess I'd call it more of a fan site. I don't know if that's fair or not. I just It was just my perspective. What was the most challenging part for you to transition covering the team from, I guess, exclusively the perspective of a fan to covering the team professionally? I honestly think the biggest challenge was not going too far with um, emotional reactions to things that happen because obviously the word fan comes from fanatic, which, you know, is, uh, it's part of the experience to overreact. And I think sometimes if you overreact, um, that's okay. I think certain situations call for strong reactions. uh, But at the same time, you don't want to look like an idiot. (laughs) And I think that's where I think some of the perspective comes in. And I think honestly, that's where you know, if you learn more about the subject that you're covering, um, especially a sport like basketball, where the more you watch it, the more you study it, the more you understand, you'll end up being correct, I guess, more often than not, being more accurate in your predictions. And um, that kind of tones you out kind of naturally as a process. But I mean, the biggest part is probably just like getting access. I think getting access is really, really difficult. Uh, Before when games were being held in Toronto, it took me a very long time to get credential to go to the game, not necessarily because I think of it was a product of the way I was um, approaching the game. But, you know, I think it is a little bit different. I think uh, those seats are reserved in media row for a lot of traditional media. And it's always going to be a little bit harder to get into the door to um, mingle with traditional reporters and um, and play that game. But 
especially now uh, with everything being virtual, it is a lot easier. Like, was there was there like ever like this holy shit moment when you realized that you were there, you were at that media row, you were you were in that on that level? Yeah, I think so. I think it was um, when the Raptors uh, were playing in the NBA Finals, <laughs> and I had been I was very very fortunate to uh, secure a, a job covering specifically the Raptors beat. In 2019, it was in March, and the Raptors started the playoffs in April, and that was the first time I traveled um, to cover the Raptors. And yeah, it was at the NBA Finals, honestly, and it was very surreal to be in that moment. Of course, like I think everybody in Toronto wanted to be one of those 20 people, 20,000 people inside the arena, and to think that I got in there without paying for it, really just, uh, and was there to cover it, and was there to talk to the players, to see the the biggest names in, in sports journalism who are all converged there for the NBA Finals was was really, really wild. And I kind of had to pinch myself a little bit. That's insane. I mean, that is absolutely insane. And, you know, just, just watching it from far away, I mean, just the entire run and just seeing the excitement of that, I just don't know how you would be able to even, like, stay calm and professional. I'd just probably be losing my shit a little bit. It, it became more insane when the Raptors actually won the NBA championship and there was the celebration in Golden State or in uh, Oakland. And I was on the court literally seeing these players walk around. You know, I was in the locker room when there was a bunch of champagne on the floor. And, you know, people are telling me that I was on Drake's Instagram live because <laughs> I was just hanging out in the background holding a phone like an idiot trying to report. Uh, and then when I went out to see the crowd, there was just like three rows of Raptor fans, probably like a thousand people and like a whole bunch of them recognized me. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I'll probably ever experience. And um, yeah, so it's quite a journey for sure. So I, I know you've been a fan of the Raptors for a long time, but as you say, you've, you've had like this incredible luck of ca- covering the Raptors professionally, exclusively when they've been really, really good. Like this year, y- you had a taste, just a taste of covering them when it looked like they might be a bad team. Uh, we know now that they're not a bad team, but we had a taste when they lost eight of their first 10 games. Did you have to make a mental shift when you're covering a team that's that just keeps on losing, um, like do you feel like you need to work harder to understand what's happening and and communicate it to your readers and to your listeners? I think so. Yeah, um, it it was there was a difficulty in keeping the content um, somewhat fresh and not just all the time being negative about it. I mean, there were certain results that were so negative. And I think pretty much what everyone wanted to do was wallow in the hopelessness of it all. But realistically, sports are are, are bound to sort of fluctuate up and down. And um, the bigger perspective, I think, sometimes is to sort of help other people see that perspective, even when sometimes I don't necessarily see it myself. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really just trying to get people to still read and listen and share content that is, you know, kind of negative about a team that everyone is there to love, which, um, you know, it's, it's part of the game, really. Like, in, in the grand scheme of things, the Raptors have been way worse than that. And there's lots of Raptor fans who have been there since day one, and they know that very well. What I like, though, about what you were doing this year is just, you know, you, you got quite dark at points, but it was always very funny. And I'm kind of appreciating the, I think this is sort of a new thing, is the, the bit with analogies. Like, I feel like you just, you've been sort of slotting in at least one analogy per per episode now is that is that on purpose you know at first it wasn't and then it just became like a, a running gag 
with myself personally because i think when you're doing solo podcasts for like half an hour and you're just like speaking to a computer screen um you you just tend to get kind of weird because it's inherently a weird activity and i think (laughs) just in the back of my mind i'm always trying to find a, a new way to like maybe jolt the listener a little bit because um you know, I, I just don't want to ramble for 30 minutes and, and, and sound completely monotone. So I try to sprinkle something in. But, um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's it's really just for my own entertainment, quite honestly. <laughs> it's great. I, I kind of want to do a super cut of it. <laughs> but um, that's, it's really great. No, I'd love to hear it, honestly. I, I know I made some very strange ones this year. After, after the Raptors won the championship in, in 2019... Uh, team president Masai Ujiri gave a press conference where he declared a vision for the team. He said, there's no doubt about it. We're the new Reds. We're going to capture the world. Um, you can see their popularity in Toronto. Um, they sell out every game. Ratings are good. Championship parade was huge. Um, and, you know, I, I love Ujiri's vision. But anecdotally, I, I don't see that popularity outside of Canada. You know, I obviously don't have stats on jersey sales or ratings, so I might be completely wrong. Like, how clued in are you with the popularity of the NBA outside of Canada, in China specifically, and and where the Raptors rank here? Um, I'm really not to- totally sure, quite honestly. Um, I mean, I've been to China many times. You know, I was born there, and um, I've gone back to visit relatives uh, a few times, and I don't think I've ever seen Raptors gear. <laughs> I don't know if this changed when uh, the Raptors signed Jeremy Lin, um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine it changed at all that much that he was on the team for two months. Um, you know, I, I think really the popularity of the Raptors is the Raptors have successfully, they've successfully changed the marketing of their team from a, a Toronto first uh, franchise to being a Canada first franchise. And I think that has allowed... Canadians all over the world to latch onto the team, and um, yeah, I think that's where the popularity of the of the team has spread. And you know, I, I think Masai is great. I think that is a great vision to aspire to. Uh, but I think he compared them to like Manchester United or Liverpool, and you know, objectively speaking, that's it's it's hilarious. That's it's comical. It'd be like comparing the Raptors to the Raptors nine hundred five, um, and that and that's me loving the Raptors. But come on, I'm, I'm also a Liverpool fan, and I know that it's probably like you know. 100 million Liverpool fans in the world. You said you come back to China. Like, where where do you visit when you come back here? Where were you born? So I was born in Tianjin, um, which is not actually where any of my relatives were from. They just happened to to uh, live there when I was born. Um, and my dad is from Zhejiang. So kind of, um, yeah, just like a, a mix, I guess, of, of between those two areas. Um, my parents... Basically, I go where my parents used to go, uh, because generally, if I go home, I'm usually with them. Um, you know, I, I came to Canada when I was seven, so you know, I, I lived a little bit in Tianjin. I lived a little bit in, in you know, areas close to Shanghai, which I, I think most of them were farmland. But I think now my, my parents tell me that they're just all uh, very built up in industrialized areas, which I think is probably the story for a lot of um, Chinese cities. But um, yeah, I mean, it kind of been all over. There's got to be some. I, I know in, in my parents, uh, in my dad's old country, it's still it's still pretty good. So uh, you know, my family came to Canada in the in the 70s from Lebanon, and you know, I was I was the first 
in my family to be born in Canada. And hockey always felt like it was some Canadian thing that I was on the fringes of. Like, it's this cultural thing. It's the reason Don Cherry had his job for as long as he did. You know, he represented what hockey is, which is, you know, to me, it was, you know, white, Scottish, Irish, tough, conservative. Um, And even though I was never a great basketball player, I, I always felt like, basketball and the world of the NBA was just more fun and accessible than hockey. And I, and I, and I guess I still do. It was weird. Just, you know, just hockey was surrounded, surrounded me, but it just never felt culturally relevant to me. So when you look at the crowd at a Raptors game, like in normal times, anyway, it's like this it's notoriously full of diverse faces in a way that, you know, a Leafs game would not have been when I was growing up. And, and that makes sense to me. Um, does that does that ring true to you as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, and I think this is something that you know I faced really early on. I just remember being in middle school, and you had to choose for some reason. You just had to choose if you were a Leafs fan or a Raptor fan. And I think there's something about you know the culture of Canada being obviously a majority white country um, that you know, and, and hockey being the most popular sport and so closely tied to national identity that, you know, there is something inherently countercultural about basketball. Not necessarily that basketball is some sort of revolutionary sport that no one's ever heard of, but it's just that it isn't the most dominant sport. So that almost by definition makes it countercultural. And to be honest, when you come in as, a, as an immigrant, you generally are faced with that decision, whether you're going to sort of um, blend in with the... Um, with white culture, or if you're going to sort of stay um, outside of that. And, you know, for me, I I lived in an area that was really diverse, and uh, I kind of chose basketball. But I I think, you know, even to a different extent, I think nowadays, you know, when you grow up and things like that, you become more conscious of these things. You know, you look at sports just based on what they're offering you. And the sport of hockey is just kind of closed in a lot of ways. Um, it's really expensive to play. It's really exclusive to play. Um, and quite honestly, like, I don't really relate with any of the people that play hockey. And maybe I don't really relate with people that play basketball necessarily either. But um, I just know that basketball makes a, at least the NBA product, makes an active case to um, be accepting of, you know, different, uh, you know, presentations, different people of different backgrounds. I think the Raptors in, in particular have done that. And, um, that has always felt really true to me. So um, I, I don't think you're alone in that. And and, and quite honestly, you know, um, that's kind of, especially in 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 Canada, at least, I think that in, in, in Toronto, I feel like that is a very common dynamic that a lot of people experience. In the last couple of years, uh, the Raptors have signed a couple of Asian players. There's been Jeremy Lin. You mentioned him. He's a Taiwanese-American point guard. And one of the surprises for this year is Yuta Watanabe, a forward from Japan. And you had a great interview with him earlier this season. It's been really fun listening to you and Alex Wong talk about these two players. Um, And Alex also uh, wrote a big piece in the New York Times about Jeremy Lin's wider significance for Asian Canadians. So Lin and Watanabe are probably the most high-profile Asian athletes in Toronto, along with uh, Ryu Hyunjin. What impact have Lin and Watanabe playing for the Raptors had um, in Toronto? I think, honestly, the biggest thing is, so basketball is already very popular um, amongst um, Asian Canadians. And, you know, I mean, basketball is like the hottest sport 
among Filipinos, and there's tons of Filipinos in Toronto. They have their own leagues. I mean, I, I was reading a story about in the Yukon, they had a Filipino league, and I was thinking that's almost unbelievable. So the fact that, you know, we had Jeremy Lin um, get a championship ring with Toronto, and now Utah's uh, on a two-way contract, and honestly doing pretty well. He probably should get a, a bigger deal than a two-way. Um, it's just cool to be represented. I think it's cool to see... Um, people that look like us in the game. And I think that is always something that is, is sort of worth rooting for. And it, you know, it helps that these guys are generally pretty nice dudes. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily the biggest uh, determinants of uh, who to root for in professional sports. I think probably maybe people with more talent level generally get more hype, but I mean, listen, as you mentioned, there's not that many Asian Americans um, or just Asians period in, in, in basketball and in the NBA. So we'll, we'll root for who we have and, um, we're pretty proud of these guys, quite honestly. And and to be honest, you know, um, you, you know, you you will understand this. I think you'll appreciate this. You know, there's sometimes hostility and frostiness between mainland Chinese and Japanese people. So for the fact that we are so wholeheartedly connected to Utah, is even a little bit more special than you know what it might seem on the surface. Thank you to William Liu joining me from Toronto. You can find Will on Twitter. He's at William underscore Lou. That's spelled L-O-U. I'll put a link on the show notes along with a link to all his work at Yahoo Sports Canada. If you want to hear three and a half minutes of Will's analogies, metaphors, and similes, head to my Twitter page. My username is Balian. That's one word. Twitter is also the best way just to get in touch with me. If you haven't subscribed yet, it would help out a lot if you did. If you like the show, share it and review it. I will be here next week and I will talk to you then.